Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Matt Q, and this is the Autosport Podcast. The 100,000 fans attending the Dutch Grand Prix got exactly what they wanted as Max Verstappen pounced on Lewis Hamilton late on to secure his fourth win in a row and 10th of the 2022 Formula 1 season. And for those of us watching at home, we were treated to pretty much what we wanted, uh, but might not necessarily have expected from Zandvoort, and that was an entertaining race with a proper late crescendo which after the first sort of eight or nine laps uh, didn't seem to be on the cards at all. With uh, Podcast Martin, as he is affectionately known on holiday for this one, please allow me to introduce our panel to dissect the race. We have uh, Jessica McFadden, Director of Digital Strategy at the Motorsport Network, Autosport Technical Editor Jake Boxwell-Legg, and live from the Netherlands, it's Autosports F1 reporter Luke Smith. Luke... With full capacity fans this weekend, having uh, the attendance been capped at 75% last year, give us an insight into Verstappen mania. Uh, It's been quite something to see. I've been working in F1 for the best part of a decade now, so I was around when... That makes me sound so old, crikey. Uh, But I was around when Max came on the scene. We saw all of the European events start to have these massive influx of people wearing orange, and that wasn't because they were McLaren fans. And... uh, 
this was my first Dutch Grand Prix. I missed, missed last year's one. So it was really interesting to actually see what it was like having effectively a Max Verstappen Grand Prix. And it, it was it was amazing. Like the atmosphere all weekend has been electric. Everyone has had Max, 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 Super Max stuck in their heads without you. You get no choice in that matter. It just is a thing. And uh, yeah, and I must say that apart from the idiot who decided to throw a flare on the track during qualifying yesterday, the fans have been really well behaved. It's been really, really good. I've had a really good experience. So uh, yeah, and they got the result that they wanted at the end of it, which was a Max Verstappen victory and a very well-earned one as well. So uh, yeah, a really good weekend, I must say, here at Zandvoort. Happy days. Glad to hear it. I thought about introducing you by talking my about my experience at Zandvoort, but I thought that's that's not a great way to go, is it? Just by making it all about me. But let's uh, let's move on. We'll look straight away as uh, a popular victory is on the cards as uh, Verstappen led cleanly from pole to sort of run away from turn one unchallenged he took an early early command of proceedings there was a bit of first corner argy-bargy between Hamilton and Sainz but otherwise it was relatively cordial between a lot of them and uh, Leclerc was showing impressive pace to keep the gap hovering around the one second with that DRS prize uh, to sort of reel in Verstappen and, and, and pounce for a potential lead uh, but that was until the lap counter hit the teens and then the Red Bull really started to stretch its legs out front I'm not going to lie, that's when I was thinking about flicking on the kettle and I thought the damp squib was was coming a relatively dull race at no overtaking Zanvor. I was ready to start drafting my column about, ah, oh, the 2022 regs have failed, they can't save this uh, this track, that which you knew was too tight for overtaking. Uh, and the best bit at that point seemed to be actually a really snazzy new graphic where they were showing like the live time uh, intervals and, and, and meters apart between uh, between the cars. I thought that was that was good. That can stay. But like Brian Spilner in a Fast and the Furious, it was a case of too soon junior from me and I was happy to be wrong. <laughs> Yeah, we love that reference. There's, there's laughter. There's laughter. Stuart Codling will be very proud of that kind of reference. Q. Brilliant. Thank you. Isn't that too? Isn't that too? Early? Yeah, it is isn't a bit. Too, yeah, like, it wasn't 1980s. That's so. a very recent do you know, reference. Do you know what it was? Shout out to the. Uh, <laughs> let's call it tuned max power era honda s2000 i passed on the a1 down to my folks home at the weekend which had too soon junior written on the bottom of the rear wing as my uh, inspiration nice. for that but anyway back to formula one and how this race became exciting jbl if you please talk <laughs> us through how the race sort of started to build was it just a case of the mercedes hamilton lining up in fourth russell six was it just that they started on the medium tires when all the others were on soft is that how this race sort of unpacked and became uh, became a good one to watch yeah, I think there was uh, a lot of strategic variation, you know, on the cards for this race before uh, before the race even began. Um, there were a lot of drivers talking about time management, um, which is our favourite subject in Formula One, um, certainly. Um, and you know, it was it was kind of on the cusp whether it be a two stop race or a one stop race. That you know, infamous Pirelli tire graphic that comes up before each race. It was predicting two stops and that the drivers would avoid going for the hard tire. Um, it was suggesting that those on the mediums would quickly stop for softs uh, and those on the softs would quickly stop for mediums. It was seem, seemed sort of pretty one-dimensional in that regard. But the hard tire was kind of the sleeper tire. Like, nobody really knew how good it was, but Mercedes kind of put all of its all of its chips on that and they were fully committed to that one-stop strategy and that's kind of what turned it around really obviously both mercedes cars started on mediums and they were able to carry them sort of quite far into the race actually by this time some drivers had pitted twice uh, i think daniel ricardo would probably be, well it was on the cusp of uh having pitted twice at that point 
And this was kind of where it came started to come to Mercedes because the pace on mediums was quite good. But then when they bolted on the hard tyre and those two stopping were on mediums by that point and their lap times had already started to drop, Hamilton and Russell just found this rich vein of pace and they were able to light up the timing screens. They were trading fast as laps. And that was the point where I think a lot of people thought, this race isn't over. Mercedes can do something here today if... If it ends up like a normal race, um, they would have been, you know, hot favourites to maybe pass Verstappen in the pit lane or even, you know, even under the VSC had nobody pitted. Um, they might have been able to, to to carry that forward. So it was a really interesting strategy from Mercedes. They were really taking the initiative. And I think Alonso and Norris, they pitted for the hard earlier. And when they were doing good lap times, that kind of confirmed Mercedes' position in that race. Everything that was wrong with the Merck at Spa, i.e. its draggy setup, really wasn't didn't come to the fore quite so much at, at lower speed, Zandvoort. But before the Merck's pit to uh, put on some hard tyres and show impressive pace, there's a small matter of Ferrari attempting to swap the soft tyres on uh, Carlos Sainz's car on lap 14. Sainz was third at the time, but it was a 12.7 second stop uh, as a rear left uh, just wasn't there. It wasn't It wasn't ready to be put on. And then when Sainz is finally ready to go, he gets released in front of Prez and the, or they have to, they have to, the pause there says further delay and he comes out in 11th place and uh, Carlos is over team radio saying, oh my God, Jess, what did you make of the latest Scuderia blunder? Because at this point, if we're accepting the championship is done, is it not about showing a bit of competence? You know, in, in 2022 with Ferrari strategic blunder, is it a case of an eye roll, taking a breath and sort of whispering Kel surprise? You would think that they would be wanting to keep those uh, those blunders to a minimum. But yet here we are again on another podcast talking about m- yet more Ferrari errors. Um, I, I, honestly, I, I can only imagine what it must be like to be either Carlos Sainz or Charles Leclerc this season. And I'm sure, you know, it, it's so demoralising for anybody in any team to be making these kinds of mistakes. They're meant to be world class. And here they are making these kind of blunders. Now, in, in, and I thought what was really telling was um, live on Sky, Bonotto called it a mess. And I think that's actually the most honest that he's been this entire season because his his approach this entire time, which he's come under criticism for, um, is is to say nothing needs to change. We just need to get it lined out. We're, we're, it's under control you know we make these mistakes to learn from them and yet they don't and it was the first time he's actually been hypercritical or at least critical um because i think actually a mess was probably um giving not probably not going too too hard but i mean they explained it in that they'd made the call really really late so i think carlos was already on the penultimate turn before they'd made the call and ordinarily if the you know the strategists and the engineers they're on when they're on the pit wall they're obviously trying to make these calls as fast as possible but the poor mechanics in the garage need a certain window of time to be able to jump up from their seats carry these you know reasonably heavy tires in tire warmer blankets and set them up ready for a car to come in um in order to be able to execute a pit stop properly um and the less time they have to do that the less prepared they're going to be the more mistakes that they're probably going to be able to make and whilst you know ferrari were trying to respond um and make a call quickly in order to to benefit from that what we what we hear from other teams is that those mechanics or you know that the the chief mechanic has the ability to radio back to the engineers and say abort we're not ready we can't get there 
And it's these little things, obviously, um, we're not party to that radio information. I don't know if that call was made at what point or who, like, you know, if, if that similar uh, scenario that we hear that happens at other teams happened. But, you know, it's, it's kind of goes back to what we were talking on the podcast last week, where there just seems to be a real lack of cohesion that, that within the Ferrari team, that no one really knows what's going on or you, you, when you watch Red Bull and today was case in point right it looked like the the win had slipped through the fingers of Max Verstappen today and yet every call from that point that it looked like it was all over they obviously had a little bit of help with luck but this is Formula One we know these kinds of things can happen at any point and the teams that become champions are the ones that can make those opportunities work to their advantage and to be able to do that to be able to like take those absolute split second decisions they need everybody in that team to almost be like one symbiotic mind and with Red Bull and Mercedes you feel like that is the case I mean with Mercedes okay I'm I'm sure we're going to kind of deep dive into their strategy calls a little bit more um but you did get a sense that you know with their double their double stack pit stop went absolutely to perfection they've just got this like level of everybody knows what it is they're doing they work as a cohesive team and with ferrari you kind of you know you always want to play the benny hill music over anything that they do like it just it just feels like it's not it's gonna go wrong it's going to go wrong. And that's going to be something that they're really going to want to shift. We've not got many races left, right? Which is is, is pretty crazy um, that we're already so far through the season. They're going to want to shift that because that meant so much of this is a mental game. And if people start believing that we're just going to make mistakes, more mistakes happen, like mistakes breed mistakes. They cannot get in their own heads about it, but they're also not going to want to have a reputation moving into 2023 that they're just going to keep making these mistakes. But something really intrinsic needs to happen in that team to get them on the same level as Red Bull and Mercedes when it comes to uh, It is the basic operations that they're just... They're, they're, they're not doing... They're, they're not getting right. And as you said, Jess, like, there's not been the kind of acceptance from the team. It's always said that, oh, no, it was the right call. And from the outside, it's very easy to criticise. And that was even said after today. Uh, Matir Benotto said that about Nico Rosberg's comment where he said, oh, even in F2 and F3, they, they've got all the tyres ready. So it's it's... I think they've they've really got to look at it because this operational side, it's the basics, but you need world-class basics to be a winning operation. It's as simple as that. And Ferrari just do not have that right now. And I mean, think about when was Ferrari's last completely clean weekend? We've had this mistake here. Spa, we yeah we, we, we saw what happened there with the, with the sort of miscue with uh, Leclerc at the very end of the race. Uh, Hungary was a disaster with the hard tyre. France, when Leclerc uh, binned it, Austria, they won. They were the quickest team, but even then, we saw science have the engine issue. Silverstone, we had uh, the, uh, the the again another sort of strategy sort of bit of confusion towards the end of the race. So it was a real stretch of races now, and I think that really going to Monza of all races as well. I think they just need a clean weekend, even if they don't win, even if you can't properly compete with Red Bull, a clean weekend, do everything right. That's what they need to do because it's been a long streak now. And I I was saying to someone earlier like I'm getting a bit actually like sad even in a way that every other weekend I'm saying to Charles Leclerc oh well this thing happened today you must be frustrated about it him going no no we're a unified team and blah 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 and that's that's totally fine but it's just like there's only so many times we can keep going through that process where I'm like I want to have something 
good to ask you. I want to be asking you about a good thing. Like, oh, that was a great move. Oh, you won this race or whatever. And it's been a long time since we've been able to do that about Ferrari. In Ferrari's partial defence, this is the first title challenge that they've been in for a number of seasons now. But when they were dominating everything on all before them in the early 2000s, that was because of a three or four year period of, you know, Michael Schumacher coming into the team and thus Benetton staff following him. So you had Ross Braun and Rory Byrne and, and all of those sorts of people. One of the first things that Ross Braun did when he started out at Ferrari was he noticed that the team was incredibly fragmented. The engine department and the chassis department barely worked together. Um, everybody was reading, you know, newspapers telling stories of how crap Ferrari were. And one of the first things that he did was move the engine and the chassis teams together, started this period of kind of reunification, if you like. And then, you know, by 1998, 1999, they were challenging for titles. And then obviously five years in a row, um, they had fantastic success. And that was, you know, it, it took a little bit of time, but it was this period of acknowledging that there was a problem from the higher ups, bringing in, you know, not just sort of sticking to the same mold of their hiring, but going in a slightly different direction and realizing what we're doing now and continuing to persist on the same path isn't working. Let's bring somebody else in who's been there and won championships. So they did that. And, um, you know, they had this period of internal investigation and that was how they built on that success. And it seems like we're going, it's like Groundhog Day at Ferrari. It seems like we're going through the nineties again and they have good cars and it's just, it's not necessarily the drivers, but it's the team not making the most of it. Um, and, and it's really unfortunate to see because they've got such talent in those cars and it's just being wasted weekend on weekend. Luke, this weekend you'll have had your elbows out in the uh, in the media pen again talking to all the drivers. Just mentioned Benny Hill earlier. Benny Hill obviously famously in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in the, uh, in the country of Bulgaria plays the toy maker. When Carlos signs, when you were chatting with him, was he throwing his toys out of the pram at the uh, strategy blunder? Good segue. Uh, he did not throw his toys out of the pram. That was an excellent segue. He went very good job. Uh, I he was he was pretty, I don't know, sort of pretty accepting of things, and he just put it down as being a very very bad day because yeah, Ferrari didn't have the pace again, and I think that's kind of the ultimate thing they've got to work on and realise that in qualifying they were pretty close to Red Bull, but that that just faded away in the race for both of them. And then yeah, for science it was a pretty a pretty disastrous race. Obviously we had that pit stop um, pit stop error that cost him so much time that sort of dropped him out of that sort of podium fight really and behind the Mercedes cars and then uh, we also had the unsafe release as well which actually Sainz was most upset about he said that um, he said he did everything he could he said I thought I saved somebody's life and then I'm hit with a five second time penalty so yeah he was pretty annoyed about that we then had the bit of confusion over uh, his uh, battle with Esteban Ocon and whether there were yellow flags or not uh, the FI looked at that and said it was yeah it was fine that there weren't yellow flags when Sainz made the move so he was he he was fine with that and then yeah at the end of all of it the uh five second time penalty applied at the end obviously drops him him down the order and uh yeah i think for science like it was one of those weekends where in qualifying he was really there with the clerk like he looked like he was in a really really good groove and then it kind of all just unraveled in the race basically and yeah stuff like an unsafe release that's entirely on the team and again it comes down to this whole team sort of processes things and everything like that and the drivers they can only do so much and yeah science he said like i thought i did the right thing but it's um yeah 
again, Ferrari just needs to look at the whole picture, really. But uh, Science was he's he's pretty good at sort of taking these things on the chin. I guess that's a good thing because it's been a, a pretty tricky period, I think, for for him and Ferrari. Um, but yeah, they've um, they've definitely missed an opportunity here. And again, for him, okay, the championship's long gone. We know that absolutely, but I think it's still a chance for him to get good points and be closer to Leclerc than he actually is. And uh, yeah, this was again not really his doing today that led to that unraveling. It, it was a scrappy race for Signs, and and he was fighting the occasion. But I, I have to say, over the last sort of few races, not necessarily from when he won at the British Grand Prix, but I think he's really there or thereabouts with Leclerc now. Obviously, the narrative at the start of the season was him sort of struggling with that twitchy back end on these on these new cars. You know how I, I, I personally rate Signs as a really intelligent driver, really really sort of calculating and just sort of on it. But in terms of pace now, I, I think I think he's massively closed the gap and that has been lost today through blunders both in the cockpit and, and on the pit wall. But I think, yeah, kudos signs. He's, uh, he's, he's rapid at the minute. Yeah, and I also thought he did really well in that battle he had with uh, Sergio Perez as well. Valtteri Bottas, he retired from the race quite early and he came to the media pen uh, while that was going on and uh, he, he hung around for a little bit just to uh, watch what was going on and he, he saw that move and that battle. And uh, yeah, that was the kind of thing where science didn't, he didn't leave much margin for Perez, but that was what he was entitled to do. And uh, I turned to Valtteri after we'd done our interview and everything and that move happened. And I said, yeah, thoughts on that? Like, what was, is, is that completely okay? And he said, that's completely fine science was yeah ahead at the braking zone ahead at the apex you know if you hang it around the outside what's going to happen so for Perez that was all on him basically so uh, yeah that was a good bit of a good bit of racecraft I thought from science so yeah I'd, I'd echo what you said there Q I think he's been in a he's been in good he's been doing all he can and I think he's been a really really good driver for Ferrari this year it's good he's got that win under his belt and I think that yeah they just need to string things together really for both him and the clerk to maximize the end of the season now the stewards are operating a bit like the referees in the Premier League at the minute. They're letting a lot more of the sort of slightly robust but not way of the line stuff go at the minute. So uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but certainly it seems it seems a bit more bit more laissez faire. JBL, you like the way uh, rushes over winglets. Obviously, nothing as impressive as the wings on Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. But uh, from this point onwards, it's the Mercs coming to the fore. On paper, Zandvoort is a is a good Ferrari track. So why why are we not from here on in the podcast, why are we going to stop talking about the red cars so much? Why were they not as quick as we thought? That is a good question. And uh, it's. Pro- I'd like to say that it's one that they probably don't know the answer to. Um, to be honest with you, um, it's always Mercedes has been pretty decent at the, uh, the higher downforce circuits. And it is quite a draggy car, the W13. Um, it does have its, its very glaring faults. But, um, you know, we saw the pace uh, in Hungary. And uh, we've seen the pace here again. And, and Christian Horner, speaking after the race, suggested that they'd be strong again in Singapore. Um, so, you know, that's going to add an interesting dynamic that Mercedes is, it, it, you know, even though it didn't win uh, today, the fact that it's hinted that it can, um, it, it bodes well for them. It does kind of seem that Ferrari has perhaps underdeveloped relative to Red Bull. And for all of the strategic blunders that we've seen, there has been a very real trend, particularly over you know the last three or four races. There was this hugely close battle between Leclerc and Verstappen, and the fact that we're not seeing those duels that like we did in Bahrain, that we did in Saudi Arabia, and that Verstappen is just able to just get off and dominate in the distance, it, it really suggests that 
you know, although Ferrari, you know, has still been pretty imperious in qualifying uh, and was very close to taking pole again in Zandvoort, it's just lost something uh, relative to Red Bull and it's just not got that pace. And it's like Ferrari has not just taken its foot off the gas in terms of race operation. It's kind of done so in perhaps development terms as well. Red Bull just seems to have found this edge, this it's it's kind of got its it's found its feet with these new regulations and it's just found something extra. And you know, we know that Mercedes is working hard on t- turning a, a W13 around because they if they're going to make a new change of concept for next season, they need to understand if that concept with the W13 is fundamentally flawed or not. Um that's something that they need to work on and so they're, you know, still doing their development and still doing their due diligence to try and work that out. Um, it just seems that Ferrari has just kind of sleepwalked into having the third best car. It doesn't at the moment, but it, it could well do if Mercedes ups its game. Cracking analysis, JBL, but a big oversight from you there. Off air, you're talking about getting in gold member pod, uh, references. You're talking about Red Bull finding its form, taking a strike. It's found its mojo. Come on, mate. That was that was flying <laughs> there for you. But oh, we will, behave. We will <laughs> oh, uh, right. So at this point, the Mercs are on the hard tyres. Hamilton is banging in purple sectors, fastest lap. I think he's at some points one and a half seconds a lap faster than Verstappen. Leclerc, I think, eight seconds behind. Perez, another second, seven seconds behind uh, behind the Ferrari. But it's playing out and it, uh, we've got this stage where, okay, the race is going to have to be, at this point, settled. There's no safety car intervention. It's going to have to be settled by an on-track pass uh, with... Merck's on a one-stop, Verstappen's stopping again. The Red Bull is going to have to come from behind and pass Lewis Hamilton. You know, we know the narrative from last season. Jess, I'm going to throw this to you. What are you thinking at this point? Are you sort of relishing a prospect or are you thinking, oh God, it's going to end in, end in tears? Because this is, I mean, apart from, apart from really when Verstappen's been lapping Hamilton, in, if you're thinking like Saudi Arabia, they've not really gone, uh, gone wheel to wheel and that looked like a proper prospect for this race. It did, it did. And especially because Mercedes seemed to be so disappointed with their qualifying performance. They they really had this labelled as maybe one of their best opportunities for a win. I can't, again, I still can't believe we're talking about Mercedes getting a singular win or hoping for a singular win um, after their dominance. But here we are in 2022. So yeah, I think it was, it, it definitely got me to sit up because like like UQ I was very much like oh well here we go this isn't exactly setting the world on fire I mean it's as you say great for Dutch fans great entertainment for them but for us it was kind of like is he just going to walk this entire season now like that's no fun for anybody including us that are paid to talk about it but yeah I think at that point it was like okay here we are you know, we, we've been talking about how Lewis Hamilton has never had a season where he's never had, he's had at least one win in every season, which is still a pretty mad stat to be talking about. And that this might be the year that that gets broken. But there were points where we were like, no, because we, as we know from the the race we saw last season and yes, okay, very, very different car concepts. Um, it's really difficult to overtake around Zanvoort. And so track position is key. So when, as you said, when we started seeing them, seeing uh, Hamilton and Russell putting in fastest lap times on the hards, that it was turning into a proper race tire. Like it was like, okay, they're going to be, they're going to be pretty comfortable. They're going to be able to go to the end of the race. And even if Verstappen does have fresher rubber on, it doesn't look like, especially if they've got a Russell as a buffer between him and Hamilton, 
this is game set match Mercedes. And it really did have that feeling, which kind of made you feel, or at least made me feel like, oh, we've got something to, we've got something to watch here. Like this could be our unexpected win of the season type situation. Maybe not to the same level as like a Ricardo winning at Monza or a Gasly winning at Monza. Mate, oh, Monza, that is the key. That's where we're going to, that's where we're going to have it next time, guys. that's begging to be clipped on Mercedes win, Um, isn't it? Right. Well, here we go. Let's have it. But it was, it did, it did, it, it did feel like, you know, as fast as that Red Bull is, Maybe it wasn't gonna. Maybe it wasn't gonna happen. Um, even if they were gonna get close, and it wasn't until I think for me it happened a bit later on when we got Abu Dhabi flashbacks with the safety car and uh, Max lining up behind him, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's gonna happen again!" And I, I, I any or all lap cars allowed to pass the safety well, car? Any or all lap cars? Um, yeah, it was a little bit flashbacky. Um, but I purposefully stayed off Twitter for that entire section of the race, like very. Very fortunately, we have some very great people covering off uh, Autosport Twitter for us that I didn't have to look because I couldn't, I just, I was like, I don't even want to know what people are saying about this right now. But yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit like, well, here we go. Like we've, we've actually got a competitive Mercedes and, you know, very strong looking Max Verstappen. Like, where is this going to end up? So yeah, it was, it was, it was really exciting. And I think actually as much as, Max fully deserved this win and is clearly a class above both him and Red Bull this season and they fully deserve the titles that they're inevitably going to win. We all do just want that whole, like, we want it to be possible for another team and another driver, especially as JBL said at the beginning of the pod, there was that was such a good strategy play, completely unexpected, really down to watching what other teams were doing and just taking a punt because they were out of position. So what have they got to lose? And, you know, Toto Wolf again, doubled down on the fact that they were going to take risks and he would rather take risks and get the win this season than just kind of be safe and get second and third. Because, I mean, what are they fighting for, really? Nothing. They're not going to win the constructors, so they're not going to get any more money and they're definitely not going to win the drivers. Um, so why not? take a punt, be clever and show that actually you've still got the package ready to go should they need to kind of pull the trigger on it. Um, So for me, it was a little bit of an anticlimax today as much as it was still a very, very well-deserved win from Max. I think the way that then obviously the safety car and VSC played out, um, it kind of, I feel a little bit robbed today because I kind of just wanted to talk about a different winner. (laughs) But... That that just just that just goes to show just how dominant Max and and Red Bull have been this season. And dear and, listener, and I promise deserving. you, we're getting to that crescendo shortly. But I want to talk about a couple of the sort of trials and tribulations for Hamilton on that, <laughs> on, on his way to sort of potentially challenging for the win. And that was first off his battle with Sergio Perez. So on on lap thirty six, it's into turn one. Perez all weekend up to this point, and it's it's a bit of a theme over the last sort of half dozen races. He's just not been there. You know, another reference for you, JBL. His 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 contract effectively says act like a mini me to Verstappen. You know, you have to be that rear gunner, pick up the pieces. I was going to ask if uh, Max has made a little papoose for him to sit in. Well, I don't know, but no? Sergio's, uh, Sergio Perez has obviously been playing, being paid more than the princely sum of one million dollars. But as part of his role. <laughs> He needs to be the rear gunner and play that. And he wasn't doing that at all until into lap one, where he does sort of just, he's robust with Hamilton. He forces him wide and delays that overtake another lap. 
And then when Hamilton does get by, because he's lost that sort of, you know, second battling with Perez, he's then held up for the entire first sector uh, from Vettel, who, who comes out of the pit lane and is slow. And they go side by side through the bank turn three. And I think Vettel does then get a, a penalty for ignoring blue flags. But again, it looked at that point, what, what are those three, four seconds for Hamilton? What are they going to do? How is it playing out? Luke, what did you make of it at the time? The, the media centre is probably... Maybe underrated. That's something I've learned covering to cover F1. It it's, gets a few sort of whoops and cheers at, at key moments in the race. What was the reaction like at that point when uh, when Vettel was making his Aston Martin particularly wide? Yeah, it does. But it's it's a funny media centre at Zandvoort because it's kind of like lots of different rooms, if that makes sense. So we were in quite a small room with uh, lots of uh, all, all of our colleagues, obviously from from um, Autosport and Motorsport dot com, but as well as uh, yeah, quite a few Dutch journalists. And uh, yeah, I think they were they were quite enjoying that fight because obviously as you said sort of Perez would be helping uh, Max Verstappen out and um, yeah I, I agree like I think the more the race wore on the more we're thinking hang on the Mercs are actually coming into this because the hard tyre was showing such little degradation that the times were looking really really good really consistent it was a tyre that nobody was expected to use and even when the I think the Alpines were the first to move on to it and everyone kind of went mm, hang on a minute and I actually said that to Esteban Ocon after the race he was like oh we always knew we were going to do that and it was though they uh yeah had a little trick up their sleeve and I think that the more it wore on the more everyone saw how good that tyre was but um yeah I think the, the Mercs made it work really really well and I think that it was always yeah it was inevitable that Lewis was going to get Checo at one point but um I think I even tweeted that it was a return of Mexico's Minister of Defense which is obviously the the, the moniker he got given after his brilliant display in Abu Dhabi last year that ultimately did help Max win the title and it was um yeah obviously not quite to the same extent but it was um yeah it was it was very robust and that's kind of really that's probably the best part of Perez's race to be honest like it was he, again he's not been on the pace that Max has showed at all this weekend I know that's a very high bar set to set but um yeah I mean you should be you should be doing better than p5 when you've got the quickest car it's as simple as that so um yeah I think we were looking at though and thinking that okay we knew Max had to come in again and it was really just a question of when he would come in if he was going to go for the hards just how much of a delta would he have built up in terms of laps and would that actually be enough to be able to get past both Mercedes and yeah it would have been it would have been tricky um but as I'm, I know I'm sure we're going to come on to the virtual safety car and we could talk about a bit what about Red Bull's plan and who the VSC worked against and things like that but yeah it was it was at a stage yeah, you were definitely thinking Merck have got a shout here like they're not they're not going quietly yeah I think I think to be blunt about it fifth place for Perez today, these kind of performances, if it's pre-Monaco at the end of last year, th th these are the sort of drives that meant that Albon, Gasly, Kvyat were were relieved of their duties, effectively. Well, certainly, certainly I think so. But at this point, there's a really interesting dilemma for Verstappen. The Mercs are really quick, but he says, I don't want the medium tyres. And this is when the lap count is sort of in the early 40s. I don't want the medium tyres. But softs, I've got 30 laps to go. I can't make it to the end of the race on those. And then hards, if if the Mercedes pit again or something, I'm going to be prey on, on the slowest tyres. And then he gets a bit of respite. The strategists, you know, the camera straight on Hannah Smith because there is a virtual safety car for a whole sort of, well, eventually a virtual safety car. It starts off as yellow flags for some uh, some sort of odds odd stuff going on with Yuki Snowda. At first, it's the tyres are incorrectly fitted and then it's the belts and then it's a differential. Which one of you three wants to try and unpack that? 
Jess, I know at this point you're back on social media because the conspiracy theories are flying. So uh, lay it on us. What, what's happening there with AlphaTauri? Yeah, that was, it was so bizarre. So the too long didn't read version, Yuki thinks there's something wrong with the tyres. So he pulls over, well, the engineer tells him to pull over and they're like, right, we've got to stop the car because you can't be going around if we don't think we've fit the tyres properly. Um, so at which point I'm sure he thinks, well, that's us gone, but the team look into it and they go, no, there's, there's nothing wrong. Like the tires are fine. You're fine. Car's fine. Like maybe just come back to the pits. We'll, we'll, we'll check it out. So at that point, and this is where the conspiracy theory starts kicking in real hard. And I, I honestly want to burn Twitter whenever I see stuff like this start to, um, fly around. Um, but anyway, so he makes his way back to the pits. They check, they check the, they, they change the tires because why not? Like, we, they're going to have to change strategy because he's basically down a lap now. Um, and we see him fiddling with the cockpit. So checking the steering because Yuki was reporting or maybe it's the steering because I'm just feeling something really weird, like something's not quite right. And then we see them fiddling with the seatbelts. So there's, there is still a question mark as to... You know, Alpha Tower have come out and said the seatbelts weren't undone, but Yuki had started to loosen them because presumably because he thought he was jumping out of the car um but he didn't he says he didn't undo them um so that's all meant to be legal the FIA has deemed it such I mean he has been reprimanded for unsafe driving um but um not to do with the seatbelts um comes in so they send him out again and within half a lap he's pulled over again I mean I don't think he ever got back up to speed really um he so he pulls over to the side of the road again and says there's some, no there's something wrong with the rear now it, it might be the differential and that's what AlphaTauri is currently saying is the is was the problem but they are investigating as to why it was but very 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 strange run of events um but I guess you know the conspiracy theories are oh well you know sister team of Red Bull that's highly convenient right um, highly convenient that that comes. And I think I actually feel really bad for Hannah Schmitz at this point, because I think we saw, um, the kind of, I can't remember how many, I don't know if it was exactly the right time, but pretty soon after Yuki had stopped out for the second time and the VSC had been called, it cut to the Red Bull pit wall and Hannah Schmitz was smiling. Um, and again, the conspiracy theorists have now caught on to the fact, well, you know, she knew what was going on, but there's nothing to say that she goes, no, now that now the strategy is going to come our way. But I'm sure Luke's actually going to jump in here because the theory is actually that entire scenario where a VSC was called, where actually I think a lot of us thought maybe a full safety car would be called um, because of the car on track. And the, Z- the Zanvort situation is that the marshals actually find it really difficult to manoeuvre the cars because it's in a sand dune, the racetrack. So they can't push the cars freely they have to use cranes for the most part because they physically cannot move the cars on their own using just human power um but as i'm sure luke's going to dive into because he's done a video all on it for me um already is that the vsc caused by yuki Sonoda could actually have cost verstappen that's according to christian horner uh yeah because we we spoke after the race and obviously i'd i'd seen these sort of theories and whatnot floating around and uh yeah seen the comments from toto wolf as well on sky saying sort of yeah sonoda and i, th- I think visible confusion was the the, the motorsport.com tweet sort of summing up his mood and uh yeah but horner actually explained that as as matt you were saying that verstappen didn't want to take the hard tire that that was very very clear because it was it it was a tire that they didn't know and they're very un, unsure about. So the plan was always to extend that stint out, 
get close enough to the end of the race that you can make it home on softs, except that you're going to lose track position to both both of the Mercedes cars, but you're on a much, much quicker tyre. We know how quick the uh, track at Zandvoort rubbers in and it make a huge gain. And yeah, for Zandvoort, we able to fly past both of them. Zandvoort goes absolutely crazy and it, it's another race win. But the VSC, that threw all of that out of the window. The Red Bull really had to go, well, okay, we, we've got to come in, we've got to come in. So although it did actually give Verstappen protection in terms of the track position that he was able to pit, take the hard tyre and then still be ahead of both of the Mercedes cars instead of um, dropping behind them because under a VSC, obviously the whole field is uh, moving slower. That means that drivers make up less time when someone comes into the pits. So it's in your favour to always pit under a a VSC if if you can, like a situation like that. But it forced him to go for the hard tyre and Horner said that, yeah, it was a real, he he said it came at the worst possible moment, which was quite an interesting way to word it. Again, particularly given all of these sort of theories and stuff going around. And it meant that they were on a strategy they didn't want to do. Sappen was on a tyre he didn't want to be on and that they all sudden had to go, well, how do we cope with this? And I think that if you look at what everyone else was doing, it would have been fine. And I think there wouldn't have been any issues at all getting to the end of the race. Obviously, we had the, the latest safety car still to come. But um, but yeah, it was it was interesting that there was such concern for Mercedes that, okay, we're going to be, sorry, such concern for Red Bull that we're going to be in a position where Max is, yeah, he's, he's up against it, that we're not on the right tyre. And that as yeah, if we have another curveball later on, that we've got to then choose, well, do we go for track position or, or, or the correct compounds? So... Yeah, a difficult situation for Red Bull is Red Bull's version of events. But then, yeah, you talk to Mercedes and they say, well, actually, no, the VSC cost us more because, yeah, we'd have had more of a chance to, to be in the fight. We'd have had both cars ahead of Max and there was little deg on the on the hards. That meant we could have hopefully held him off. So it's uh, it's quite interesting, that disagreement. And again, these teams that have got uh, strategists who've won championships and obviously are so successful... And both of them can look at one situation, have completely different views on it. The detail that's maybe slightly lost is that Leclerc has already pitted at this point before it becomes a full-blown, or before it becomes a virtual safety car, like a full-blown safety car. So he has like the most expensive pit stop. It's the most, you know, the most tight, uh, it takes the longest amount of time, if you like. And then I'm going to try and keep things brief now as I rattle through some of the events that happen over the next sort of uh, few laps. So Verstappen starts for hard. Uh, Mercedes do that lovely double stack. I can maybe there's a tenuous reference there. Jess, you talked about conspiracy theories. I'm reading a really interesting book on the origin of conspiracy theories. The earliest recorded one is uh, in in Norwich, and you might think I'd uh, stick to form and make an Alan Partridge reference there, but no, I'll say Norwich uh, in the beautiful county of Norfolk, where Russell's from. Russell obviously second in that wonderful, uh, wonderfully orchestrated uh, uh, double stack. Uh, we are stop. getting ever more into Stuart Codling territory tonight, Q. Compliment taken. I feel like I'm in a game of like, what was that game of like six degrees or something? You know, when you have to like go from one. I feel like I feel like I'm in a game of that, which yeah, this is I'm 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 here for it. I'm here for it, Q. It's what the listeners want. But anyway, so because the Mercs do this double stack, it then hands Verstappen track position. And not only is he in on track position with tires of the similar age, but it's also in a quicker car. So that looks then like the 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 win has fallen away from Mercedes so you know this thing that Jess and I were talking earlier about yes it's finally gonna be settled on track that's where the race is building we lose that and we think that's gone even Hamilton says at some point over team radio the VSC has stuffed us obviously his his team radio will get a bit more colorful uh later on but that comes after he's praising the pit stops early in the race and how we've nailed it he then sort of settles into it and realized oh no it's taking taking it away from us so we've got to the point from where it was 
Verstappen having to come from behind to pass Hamilton. Now it's Hamilton in the slower car must pass Verstappen. Suddenly at Zandvoort, that looks less less likely. I and mean, you know, have we lost a crescendo of, of this race? It's building so so nicely. But then Bottas stops. So we have a safety car come out. Jess. Were the Ferrari conspiracy theorists equally as vocal, or the, or the uh, anti-Ferrari camp saying Bottas stopping now? Now Leclerc's come away with a podium. It must all be linked as part of the Illuminati's grand plan for us all. It it did feel weird that the two sister teams of the two, well, at least one top team and one should have been top team. It did feel weird, didn't it? Like it did. It did feel like. Uh, and at, at one point, I even thought like, oh, has Bottas just kind of like helped his old team? Um, only for a second and then you realise, oh no, this is absolutely going to <laughs> send them up swanny, really. Um, but yeah, it, it did feel, I don't think, I feel like maybe not as much of a conspiracy theory, but I mean, I genuinely had to stop reading how many conspiracy theories were coming out over the course of this race. I think we just all got very excited that stuff was happening. Like, I, that's what I'm going to put it down to. Like, that's the only, that's the only perfectly logical explanation that I can put to why this came out. But um no, it did. It. I don't think it. It didn't. Well, it did help, as you say, Leclerc get a podium, um, because it did then lead to the next string of events. Where I think we have to commend Russell as 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 selfish as it sounded, which I thought was the perfect just juxtaposition. He was very very strong in his call. He, which is something that we've said that maybe Leclerc needs to do more of. Because he said, "Put me on the softs. I want the softs. I'm losing. Like I'm losing these tires. We th- we have to do this, or this is all over." In in a very shorter, much shorter radio message than I've just uh, tried to reenact. But um, that call got him P two, and without it, you would argue that the Mercedes would have dropped off completely and not even been on the podium at all. Um, but it, it did feel like a very selfish move because what that then meant was that there was no buffer at the restart. From Hamilton to Vettel, uh, Verstappen. Where, what year am I in? Vettel? Um, yeah, it meant there was no longer a buffer from from Hamilton to Verstappen. Um, but afterwards, and then we all know how good George is at being, towing the PR line. I th- I was trying to tally how many times he said, we, team, us. Um, it, it was the whole language was even when he was asked about his own call he would all he reflected it back bounced it back team mercedes us we never me never i never taking credit for the fact that it was his decision to go onto the soft to keep him keep his position and and mean that he he went home with the podium which i found like very interesting um, just as a side note to the the kind of the uh, the turnout of events that, that that came to be, a few things to rattle off. I think are, are, are with the with the safety cars, so we don't have to dissect them all. But you know, I neglected to mention Bottas stops on the on the run to turn one. He's on the inside there. It's engine engine lets go. I think that's basic explanation, isn't it? You just hear it sort of buzz and 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 pull up. Uh, and then uh, uh, Signs and Ocon side by side under yellow flags. So Ferrari gets ahead, and Signs again. Me, you know, sort of praising him for being so so intelligent. He does that sort of uh, cheeky thing of he passes Ocon, and then and then sort of queries queries it over Team Radio. And I, I in my notes, I, I wasn't sure how to describe it. I put tactical innocence pro- uh, proclaiming because he was just like going, "Oh, I'm, I'm not sure about that, but oh, that's me. Oh, there's nothing I could have done." And sort of, it's like I think. You know, previously, I think actually for that manoeuvre, he would have been banged to rights. 
not not now whatever they've soft softer position on it but i like that he was sort of stating his innocence and querying it over team radio and sort of flagging that already which i, I thought again again pretty pretty shrewd we had alonso i think it was was it locking up into turn one and, and uh under under the, under the safety car and then uh and with the battle with norris which is entertaining but we'll get to lap 56 verstappen comes in for softs hamilton stays out has track position just as you've summed up russell's calling the shots he he dives in for softs uh perez pits as well and so we've now got this situation where, yes, Hamilton has the track position, but we know that the Merc is got much older tyres and we know it's weak at tyre warm-up. So you've got it behind the safety car and as well, some of the best restarts we've this season, I think back to Leclerc in the first couple of um, races, when he goes, he chose to do it from like a proper kink so that when he was in a straight line, like the car behind where it was Verstappen had a bit like an armful of steering lock on. So he couldn't get on the power immediately. Hamilton here, because it's sort of a DRS, you can have DRS through the final corner because it's so wide and open. He doesn't really have that luxury. So as soon as he's on the power, Verstappen's on the power as well in the tow and with the best overtaking opportunity into turn one. So it wasn't quite the three or four lap dice we were expecting. It was, it was Verstappen just nails it in in for for the effective for the effective victory at that point jbl what did you make of uh events uh i suppose at that point you can start sort of declaring verstappen will win this but you know was it a satisfying sort of uh conclusion to the race that the way he just nails hamilton at the restart oh it, it was pretty much game over at that point wasn't it um you know much has been spoke about spoken about with regards to mercedes strategy i think in that situation you know Verstappen wins in every permutation. Um, you know, even if Hamilton could have switched the switched the, the switched the tires on, um, you know, I think Verstappen would have, by measure, just got him a little bit later on. You know, and if both cars stay out, Verstappen will probably pass them both. Uh, if both cars pit, they can see the position to Verstappen. So I don't really see uh, a permutation where Mercedes can win it at that point, which is unfortunate. But um, you know, Verstappen very much had the lay of the land. Um, with regards to the restart as well, if you've watched, if you watched any of the junior category races, because there were a lot of safety cars across F2 and F3 this weekend, there was quite a, let's say, fracas. Did Jeremy Clarkson punch one of the drivers? <laughs> well, it was as if Jeremy Clarkson had punched one of the drivers into a wall. Um, because Liam Lawson, Liam Lawson led the restart, um, and he went very very late just as they were coming off that banking actually in most of the races you'd see the driver just go come out of that sort of weird horrible chicane that i hate uh and then get on the throttle um so luckily we didn't have that uh we didn't have the lawson pile up verstappen just had so much more tire life and he could just get going on those softs and Hamilton on old mediums, they're hard to warm up. They're a lot more solid. Um, you can't get the energy through them. Even through that banking, it's it's really, really hard. So yeah, that was that was game over for for, for Hamilton really at that point. Um and just to touch back on what Jeff said as well about Russell calling that strategy. After the race in the press conference, he said something along the lines of, Well, you know, it suited us better to to split our strategy and, and have two cars on it. It's like, well, who's 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 making that call? The team? You? Um <laughs> it's like George is backseat driving, which fair play to him. He, he made the right call and uh, he got the job done, he passed Hamilton and 
that got slightly messy as well. By the restart, it was pretty much obvious who was going to win at that stage. Yeah, Russell really had to check his pace uh, to, to avoid a, a massive shunt between the two marks. Luke, I'm going to come to you now. Uh, a very different narrative from Hamilton by the end of it, talking about, guys, you've really nailed the pit stops. Then he says, you've fluffed my race, you bunch of dossers and dwads. There's your Alan Partridge <laughs> reference. It's worth waiting for. Um, but... That's that's really different to the, the the Hamilton we've seen all season, which has been oh you know I back I back you guys completely to get it done. And I'm not saying that in the instance he's sort of uh, you know given up hope on what what Brackley and Bricksworth are capable of. But that was, but Hamilton certainly in that moment seemed to go in on the team a little bit more. Did he have time to process it when he was then speaking out outside of the car later? What what where where was his head at basically? Yeah, he did have time to process it, and it's quite funny how after. A week ago when it was Alonso running his mouth and Lewis being on the receiving end of it and Lewis sort of saying like, oh, well, yeah, sort of nice to know what he thinks of me and things like that. That now it's Hamilton who was the man being focused on for what he was saying over the radio. But he was, uh, yeah, he, he came away from that saying, look, no, I, I, I realised now and yeah, I apologise for those comments. And I think sort of reaffirming the as you say, it's, it's about we win and we lose together and that whole mentality. And he said, like, I'm passionate, I, I care. Like, that's why I would say these things because I just want to win and I see a chance for us to do well and it slips away. And um, yeah, it was, but it was interesting to see that because as you say, it's so against the sort of what we're used to from Lewis over the radio particularly and that sort of uh, unity that we normally see. But yeah, I think he did go away and, and, and process it. And it's also one of these things that I think you talk to teams and engineers and things like that, they, they're used to it. They know that, okay, like what you say over the radio, I'm not going to take it to heart, go away, cool down for 15 minutes, get the race done. Yeah. Then we can talk about it and like see where your head is actually at. Uh, Toto Wolf, he said that um, it was a beautiful turn of phrase said teams have to accept being vomit bags for their drivers and know that they're just going to be on the receiving end of, blah 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 on the radio and that's how it is sometimes but then yeah you, you come away and you talk about it and you say okay well this could have been done better or this is why we did what we did and, and you understand it and um yeah I, had, I mean earlier this year i had a good chat to uh, jody eggington who's the technical director at AlphaTauri. we were talking about um yuki and his radio and he said he said i'm used to it I, i've been working with racing drivers for 20 years and someone who's, who's mouthy over the radio that's absolutely fine like you just know that as long as out the cockpit they're fine it's okay. So, uh, yeah, it was interesting. It was, yeah, you could just see how flustered Lewis was. But I think, again, it is, it's the fact that he cares. It's the fact that that was their one chance so far this season to probably snatch a race win and it'd been taken away from him and he didn't understand why. So, um, yeah, you can understand it. But, yeah, just, it was it was just interesting to see because it was so unlike what we're used to. One point, and not, not to labour the call too much, but... We talked earlier, we, you know, I went in on Ferrari, another strategy shambles. We, we talked about that. Is it right then that we should also pick apart Mercedes a little bit? Because effectively what they did is they banked track position on the slow old tyre and lost, which is what Ferrari did with Leclerc at Silverstone. So is it fair to draw that comparison and go in at Mercedes being as we've been harsh on, on Ferrari? Um, I would say no, because Mercedes aren't, fighting for a championship and yeah they they had to roll the dice as as jess said wolf was very clear that 
I don't want to be here banking second and third and just accepting that's how it is. Like, we want to go all out for victory. We want to try and do what we can to win the race. And their thinking was, look, the medium that Lewis is on, it's not done that many laps. So if it holds up pretty well, then maybe we'll be able to fend off Max. Maybe that him on those fresh softs won't be that much of an advantage. And I think what was the surprising bit for many, and this was again something that Christian Horner talked about, was that they did split the strategies and that Russell came in as well and that meant there was no rear gunner to protect Sir Lewis because maybe that might have made things a bit different. I don't know. But but yeah, um, I, think it's, I think it just is a little bit different because Ferrari, uh, Silverstone, they weren't a team desperately going for their one race win this season that will absolutely make their entire year they were a team fighting for a championship who basically were thinking well what do we do what do we do and they had yeah one lead driver in the championship who they probably should have backed and didn't mercedes does it really matter who out of hamilton and russell wins the race this season i don't think so just as long as they do win one so out of all of this verstappen crosses the line to win over russell by four seconds I want all three of you to give an opinion here and me being the host, I don't have to so I can sit nicely on the fence. Verstappen, I think it's pretty uncontroversial to say Spa was the best win of his career because of from how far back he comes. But he's doing that at a car, at a track which allows overtaking in a car that is demonstrably quicker. So from where the Red Bull was, breaking down in FP1, slow in FP2, should we be, you know, rating this uh, Verstappen win sort of Similarly highly, considering at no overtaking Zandvoort, he overtook and he took control and he had an answer for it. Yes, circumstances played in his favour to an element. But, you know, is this another top draw performance from, from Verstappen, do we think? Jess, let's start with you. It really does depend because I think it, today was a case of Red Bull and Verstappen just being faultless and taking advantage. But we could we could equally be having a very different conversation had those... VSCs and safety cars not happened. It looked like actually they'd let it slip because they hadn't they they hadn't counted on another team being as bold as Mercedes. So I know it's all if buts and maybes, but I think in terms of an individual performance, yes, you're you're totally right in saying that Spa is an easier track to overtake in, but it just looked like Max was on a another level, and you know Red Bull still provided everything that Max needed to do, but as a as a driving performance it was still mightily impressive spa this kind of i guess it this is i guess this is why it's so difficult to compare drives um because there are always always in f1 different variables to consider but i think in terms of 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 impressiveness whilst i definitely do see what you are getting at i think for me as as a as an individual if we're talking about max verstappen the racing driver spa will still be that just that bit more impressive just because you got to see the magic of of max because other drivers were still struggling to overtake and okay yeah you go well he's in the fastest car blah 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 but you know i think that that last week spa was similar to hamilton brazil and i think whilst i maybe wouldn't say that brazil was his best uh hamilton's best race i think I think we're still yet to see Max Verstappen at his absolute best, which is probably a terrifying thought. Um, I think he's going to be faced with more challenges where we will see more Hamilton-esque comebacks, um, which I'm really excited for. But yeah, for me, I think Spa tips it for me as a as a driving performance. Yeah, it's, it's terrifying, isn't it? With any like 
know whether it's football manager or, or whatever strategy game, you, you assemble the best components, don't you? And it, at the minute, it's it's difficult to look past Verstappen as the driver operating at his peak at the minute and the RBA, RB18 being the best car out there and then Red Bull's operations being the slickest of the lot. So you put those and that's quite quite the sort of three-pronged attack. Uh, Luke, JBL, what did you rate of Verstappen's performance? And I'm looking at the time now and I know need need to wind down. I'm starting to feel guilty because we barely touched on any of the midfield. So are there any unsung heroes from the race that we need to shout about? Because I, as your host, have failed to do so. Honestly, Matthew, how do you sleep at night? In a racing car bed with my wife. It was either that or it was going to be the um, radio. Is it Radio Wolfcastle? Or he's like uh, on top of a big pile of money with beautiful women. Lots of beautiful ladies. That's it. That's it. Yeah, (laughs) quite quite similar to Toto Wolf in a voice, actually, isn't he? But um, anyway, we've got very sidetracked there. Uh, Fernando Alonso, who's a driver who um, we've spoken about the Fernando Alonso tax before and how... Some of his performances can maybe be over-egged a little bit, but uh, no, he was brilliant today, I thought. Um, we saw in uh, qualifying, it was a difficult day for Alpine, he dropped out in Q2, but he fought his way back up the order well. He was uh, one of the first drivers on the move, picking off both the Alvataris. And then, yeah, that switch to the hard tie, was, it was a, a really, really good decision by Alpine, and then he bolted on a set of softs later on, they were going to go for a real sprint to the finish. And then he said, when he saw the safety car, he was like, oh no, because everyone else was doing the same thing. But I think to come away with sixth place, I think is a really good performance for him. It was a pretty, uh, yeah, pretty close battle with Norris as well. But no, I thought Alonso did a really good job today. Uh, Esteban Ocon as well, getting up into the points. He um, he regretted that he wasn't, his pace uh, in the first didn't, he didn't get as much out of it as he would have liked, but he, otherwise he reckons he could have been up there with Fernando as well. And uh, I would also like to give a rare, but welcome shout out to Lance Stroll as well, because to be P10, I thought it was a really good job for him. And he was actually a bit disappointed because he thought that, uh, yeah, Aston Martin had more pace this weekend, but things, uh, the late safety car game worked against him a little bit. In qualifying, there was an issue in Q3 that meant he couldn't get out. So, um, yeah, all three of those drivers get up into the points, I think, have uh, done a really good job today. Um, I guess Luke has left me with uh, shout-outs for those who didn't have such a good weekend. Um, <laughs> I think Alpha Tauri had a bit of a miserable weekend, and it's night and day over last season, isn't it? Um, the car in 2021 seems so good. Pierre Gasly was basically had P6 on lockdown every qualifying session, and, and now they're struggling to get out of Q1. It's not consistent. No points for the team. They're on, I think, 29 points, and I think Aston Martin's on... 25 where given their relative positions at the start of the season that's really not particularly good um as as luke said lance Stroll did have a very good day and you know possibly could have had more had qualifying gone to plan mick schumacher dropped out of the points uh no points for Haas. uh just struggled with pit stops and then teammate kevin magnuson who was knocked out in q1 on saturday clunked to the wall at the start of the race and somehow made it uh through the race unscathed um which was you know a fair feat but it, it's such a strange season for Haas. it started with so much promise we were like yes they're back they're going to be you know the surprise team of the season after a, a dreadful couple of years and 
now they just seem to be slipping into midfield obscurity again. Um, and then I, I guess it's also worth mentioning the travails of the recently displaced McLaren driver Daniel Ricciardo um, finishing P17. Who did you did you see? Did any of you guys see JV? Like there was a, a Twitter clip that uh, <laughs> emerged. Yeah, uh, where you can overhear Ricardo essentially saying, I'll take a year out and come back in 2024, which he obviously didn't know he was being filmed. We obviously don't have anything official on that. It obviously is, at this point, unconfirmed hearsay, but it, that is that is what it sounds like he's saying. It looks more and more likely that he is not going to have a Formula One seat next Was that the one with the caption that says Daniel Ricciardo struggling again McLaren on it? Which was allegedly... Uh, I mean, it, it literally, it went... It's, it was an offic- apparently an official F1 TV little lower third for him and it said struggling again McLaren on it, which is... Oh, it did! Yes, yeah. yes no, it did! It wow. did! I mean, that is just... Also, I, I know what a lower third are, is. The, the little lower thirds... <laughs> yeah, yeah. well done jb yeah you've been working with uh you were working with matt enough times uh uh yeah they they, they they sometimes go full savage on people like they, they'll say something hasn't improved this season or you know like it, it, they just put like the most savage strap lines in and i don't know i don't know who does it but you know fair play to the whoever has the balls to do that and put it on live tv but yeah it, it like the ricardo one was was pretty surprising i think you, know, you would think the drivers are aware that whenever they're walking, they have a camera and a microphone not too far behind, whether that's Netflix or F1 TV or a broadcaster. But it does seem like they got a little bit caught out. So a little bit like we overheard Perez saying, oh, maybe I signed too early. Um, we might we might be forcing Ricardo into revealing his plans for next year, which might be, I don't have any. It's it's interesting on the, um, yeah, mention about, sort of mics and things like that and now team principals i think are actually mics up pretty much all of the time when netflix is following them and uh yeah i've heard a couple of instances this weekend where um yeah well we've gone to speak to a team principal and uh, yeah us and our colleagues and um they've gone oh no i can't talk i'm mic'd up and or if they want to talk they'll be like right, how do i quickly undo this so i can talk to you off record without being picked up by a microphone it's um it's quite interesting but yeah i think that i think the other big, obviously, thing this weekend has been the driver market. I think we've seen so much movement with that, with the CRB ruling about Piastri and his confirmation at McLaren and Pierre Gasly now moving towards Alpine. Colson Herter looks set for an Tari drive if they can get the, the breakthrough on the super license. But there's a bit of concern, I think, from some teams and uh, even Formula One about basically what's the point of a rule book if you don't follow it and you need to make exceptions and the doors are shutting for Daniel Ricciardo unfortunately and yeah it's been a pretty miserable weekend for him on track and not much better off track either I think but the way things are looking is is it Haas and Williams is that the best he can do for next season it kind of looks that way right now and if you know the the Williams door is shut, if they do go with Logan Sargent or if they go with uh, with, with Nick, who, if I may jump in, seems mm. to be doing everything in his power yes. to not get a Williams drive for next season. <laughs> after yeah, another pretty bad Formula Two weekend for him. Well, all of the contenders for that seat don't haven't had particularly good years. Uh, Logan Sargent, it's it's not been a bad start to to life in F two. It is still his first season, but he had a pretty dreadful weekend in Zandvoort. Um, people link Nick DeVries with the seat, and he you know he impressed the team in in free practice, but his Formula E season, which I've been on the front lines for, selfish plug. Um, 
Uh, it's not been particularly special. It wasn't as good as the the season that he gave Mr. Q, formerly of that parish. Um, and Haas, considering Antonio Giovinazzi, who possibly had one of the worst Formula E seasons that anyone has ever had. Um, scraping the barrel at this point, isn't it? I was actually quite disappointed how hard Domenicali came out and said, um, we won't look into it because... I, I, I do I do get their point you know there are rule books there and I guess the, the the point that we want we do want to avoid is we don't want to set precedent whereby we look back and go well everybody who has achieved the same as Colton Herter or similar then all, all automatically gets awarded super license points because it would be a bit of a frenzy and um, probably not very not a very uh, nice process for the FIA to have to go through uh, with the influx of applications but at the same, I mean, it did it did smack to me, and maybe maybe I've taken this the wrong way, but it smacked to me of F one preserving its own European centric ladder of Formula Three, Formula Two, Formula One, um, and it's something that you know there's been all this talk about Andretti coming in and bringing US audience, and then an American driver coming in and bringing audience, and obviously they've said, oh yeah, Logan Sargent's fine because he's from our little family of European uh, series. But as we well know, there are only 20 seats on the Formula One grid. And how many how many amazing drivers have come through the Formula Three, Formula Two ladder, got to the end and gone, well, that's it. Where do I go? And where else do they go but potentially to IndyCar or whatever? And I know, like, you know, Colton Herter is somebody that has been in the European circuit. Um, he's got that level of experience that some of the other IndyCar drivers maybe don't have. But I think it's really, I I, re, I, I hope I'm not just being too cynical, but I feel like if if we are going to stop having these issues of these bottlenecks of, of too much talent coming in and not enough seats to put them in, in the pinnacle of racing, then, you know, we, we, there's something has to be done. Like something has to kind of, and we don't want to ever be in a situation where, J, as JBL said, we're looking at bringing in the dregs because nobody else qualifies like that again is not what not what met, is meant to be the pinnacle of 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 motorsport and to christian horner's point they're only going to let gasly move on which has been so overdue in terms of him moving away from the red bull pool and it, they will not let that happen unless they have exciting talent now Red Bull have some of the like most amount of young drivers on their roster than anybody else. So if they're saying that there's nobody in their pool of drivers that's exciting enough to let Gasly go and they're looking externally to IndyCar, something is severely broken here. And I think we've, we've known this for a long time, right? But I think Domenicali's comments just really got my back up because I'm like, well, what are they going to... What do you... What do you want? <laughs> Seriously, what do you want here? Do you want to go big in the US or not? And I think, yeah, it's just been a very, very weird year of we don't want Andretti. We don't want to recognize IndyCar drivers as having a similar weighting to the most junior of junior categories. They don't even, like, they don't even have the equivalent of in terms of super license points. It blows my mind. Um, and I really hope we fix it. And I really do, you know, it would be interesting to see how an IndyCar driver gets on in Formula One. That's not a reason to bend the rule book. I do understand that that can't just, you know, just happen and we do it because it, it fits the narrative. But yeah, something's, something is something is not right. Something's got to give. And Oscar Piastri is another great example of, of 
they said that the Young Driver Academies aren't broken. I beg to differ. Perhaps that's a post-Bernie Eccleston era, isn't it? When it's not someone's specific train set anymore, you have to you have to play it by the books. Uh, but yeah, thank you, thank you very much for that. Learned a lot. But I think that that dissects uh, most of the uh, most of the important key points from the from the Dutch Grand Prix, and then uh, straight into the final one of this uh, this uh, triple header with Monza, which again, as we've we've had some surprises at the past, obviously Gasly and uh, and Ricardo winning uh, last season. I don't know. It's hard to say though, isn't it? Because you know, you look at the straight lines, you think maybe the Williams has a chance of, of doing well there, but. The best engine in the straight line is that Honda engine, and uh, it, it's Paro and Max Verstappen. So, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Uh, so, uh, be sure to join us on the uh, podcast next time out as we dissect that. But in the meantime, this is your reminder to head to autosport.com where Luke will be rifling through all the uh, breaking news from the Dutch Grand Prix and any further uh, shenanigans that take place over the next seven days. And then you need to come back, uh, what, tomorrow morning we'll have our full Grand Prix report and then tomorrow afternoon the driver ratings will go live and on Tuesday, Thursday, uh, Wednesday and Thursday you'll have the opinion columns and then on Thursday Autosport magazine hits shelves. Surely enough to keep coming back and back. But thanks very much for listening and join us again next time for another episode of the Autosport Podcast. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Reach new career heights with University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business. Flexible MBA and MS options. GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more at go.umd.edu slash smithschool. University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Inspired, fearless, unstoppable. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.